Hello, and welcome to Sight Unseen, a podcast run by the Tarleton State University Centre for Educational Excellence. Make sure you follow us on our social medias, all of which you can find down below. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. I hope you enjoy. Speaking about you venturing away from your line mm-hmm. and, and, and taking on some students, taking on some of these these projects that don't exactly align with what it was that you intended to study whenever you finished your doc yeah. doc program. How is your five year, you know, research line or your maybe not five year, but your research line in general? How has it evolved for you? Right. So, um, all right. Let me let me understand the question right. So let's say let's say four years ago when I applied yeah. to a university, I wrote a statement on my research, what my research objectives are. Yeah, what's and that look like? Would, would those be different now? Sure. Uh, I think that they are different. I, in fact, I, I, I could probably fish it out. I could probably find what my original statement was. Uh, yeah. I'm sure it mentioned occupational socialization theory and why I believe it's valuable and the methodologies that I've used and the trainings that I've received. And I probably discussed the ways in which I could be a really good scholar of occupational socialization theory. Right? And it was probably pretty narrowly focused. Yeah. I'll, if I had to rewrite that now, it would be way more woven into my teaching methodology, my teaching philosophy, and my viewpoint on mentorship and student leadership. I would integrate the two. If I had to rewrite my research statement, I would talk pretty directly about my teaching, yeah. probably, because occupational socialization theory, when done in fidelity, informs how you teach as a sport pedagogy professor because I have an integral role in their socialization, right? So good research and occupational socialization theory makes me a better teacher so that they're a better teacher coach whenever they leave. So anyway, I would I would discuss I would discuss how my teaching and my research are truly complementary and I would discuss how my research and my mentorship could be complementary by doing what you just said, not to repeat you, but letting students find something that's meaningful to them, helping shepherd them to success and passion. And, and I, I've been thinking about the three pillars of academia, well, the three traditional pillars sure. of teaching, research, and scholarship. And I've gotten to a point now, I'm sorry, teaching, teaching research, research, and service. Research, yeah. I'm sorry. I've gotten to the point where my teaching pillar and my research pillar are so similar when I'm chasing the right rabbits that I, I actually combine those pillars, and I would just call that scholarship. If you see me in the office and I'm hammering away at the computer or reading something, it's, it's scholarship. It's pure scholarship. It's not just teaching. It's not just research because the synergy between the two have become so strong, and I'm, I'm really happy with that. Uh, and I, I would like to get to the point where service is the same, right, where all of my service is a form of scholarship, and it informs my teaching. Every time I review a journal, you know, you're a blind reviewer for peer review, and I see a pretty interesting paragraph, I'll copy and paste that, and I'll make sure I put it in the first slide the next day so we talk about that as a class, if it's fitting. So I, I think these three pillars of academia that the whole house stands on, if, if they're individualized and siloed and compartmentalized, they're weaker than when they're just one solid pillar, you know? Yeah, I'm going to go back and rewrite my just overall professor philosophy. Yeah. To to encompass each one of those now and and i would say that i am i'm probably not as good at taking the teaching aspect 
and and merging it mm-hmm. with research as you are. It probably and, depends on the classes you're teaching too, I, right? So. I think that you're right. I think it's going to depend on the classes that you're teaching, and it's going to depend on your research interest, right? Mm-hmm. Your research interest obviously aligns yeah, with very, teaching. Yeah, very, very complementary. Very See, complimentary. now where I differ, every, well, I say every, not every piece because we all serve on committees and stuff like that, and it's hard to get data from that. You yeah. probably could, but it's hard. But the majority of volunteer service I do, I collect data on. Yeah. And that data is what I typically use. I use it as secondary data to produce my my scholarship. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that I run it is I go out to a particular organization and I say, hey, I'd like to employ a training program for you. I can I can show you the the, the pre and post tests, I can show you these improvements. I can show you uh, how in, how integrating this can enhance your performance on the field or in the dirt, you know, wherever it may be. And I provide those reports to that coach. Mm-hmm. And after that coach is done with those reports, that data then becomes secondary data. And I can then publish and present on it. Yeah. So in mine, yeah, ding, ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. So in, in my philosophy, instead of teaching and research being stuck together. It's service and research that become woven together. Yeah, you actually just presented something that uh, is relevant to you. Uh, you, You've prompted me to inform you of a new project I'm engaging in that you're involved in, the Fitness Gram, which is uh, a physical fitness assessment that is in compulsory K through 12 physical education programs. Anyways, I think we need to take the next step with collecting that fitness gram data, yeah. which is present that data in an organized fashion to the physical educators of those schools. We show them, hey, teacher coaches, I, I like to call them teachers, they're physical educators. Teachers, these are the areas of fitness your students uh, are thriving in. These are the deficiencies. And here's the next step. After we train them up on how to improve the deficiencies so we also are serving the health community and the educational community and now it's secondary data it becomes secondary data at that point yeah yeah but but i don't want to get lost uh i don't want it to get lost that the the objective of this is to actually train those teachers who probably have not received formal training on how to engage health enhancing practices in their students in a dozen years plus sure you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, and and I think that in the in the idea of evolution, right? It is important that in in those settings we're reaching out to those people in the communities who whose mindset may be maybe stuck in the past. Oh, yeah. Like we're we're on the forefront of every single edu- educational nuance. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where we sit in seat in the seat as a professor because we're the ones that are producing the information. We're the ones that are seeing these changes. Now, how long does it take for these changes actually to take place? Well, in practice. In practice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's probably getting better now due to, you know, this lovely iPhone I have and sure. technology. But Gosh. in the past, it was, it was collect all these paper-written articles and journals and try to shove it into a textbook and then try to get your kids to read it and then teach on it, right? And well, we're still we're still teaching stuff and applying stuff in our schools mm-hmm. that now we've found isn't you know, necessarily 
the most relevant or most correct way to do it? I have found that some industries are stagnant and some industries thrive on evolution. Uh, I think the industry of business is quick to evolve. Being the first to sure. do something, to, being the first to innovate is typically a highly advantageous position to put yourself in. The industry of education evolves very slowly. It's still highly reproductive. Um, it's Honestly, we have studied mass education for a very brief amount of time compared to other disciplines. Yeah. Like, think about some disciplines like mathematics and, and astronomy, you know, are very, are, are, are ancient fields of study, whereas only for like a hundred years, we've actually engaged as a society in educating the masses in a unified way. It's still a very novel and young enterprise. So the research on learning is new. Consequently, the research on teaching is new. So innovation is just an absolutely mandatory necessity to be able to measure any differences from the last way we were, we were teaching. You know, we need an intervention and that intervention is research. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The, the, what the research would say about this practice, this dance between teaching and learning. So I think for what you and I do, and, and realize we're talking about kinesiology here, uh, but I do think the other academic disciplines, um, I think it would be true of those disciplines as well, that researching informs the way that we teach things. It is the intervision. It is the catalyst to changing things up if the status quo is insufficient. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Sights Unseen. Be sure to follow us again on social media. That way you can stay up to date with future episodes. And if you're a faculty member here at Tarleton and you would love to be on an episode, we'd love to have you. Please get in contact with us and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you again so much for listening to this episode of Sight Unseen.